Welcome to The Big Idea. I'm Douglas Kerr, and our subject this week is fish. Of our living neighbours on the planet, land animals, birds and fish, fish are the ones that seem most aloof from us. Cold-blooded and elusive, they go about their watery existence, indifferent and invisible to us most of the time, until our lives intersect on a holiday recreation or on the dinner table. Most of us know less about fish than about other animals. When you see a fish in a restaurant fish tank, does it see you? And what is it thinking? Fish have an immeasurably longer history on our planet than humans, but their lives are being profoundly affected, like the rest of the natural world, in the Anthropocene age, the age of human impact. Today we want to learn a bit more about fish, their history and variety, how they live and what they do, and the challenges and dangers involved in being a fish, particularly today and particularly in Hong Kong waters. So my fish experts are Professor Yvonne Sadovi, an ichthyologist at Hong Kong University who researches the biology and conservation of marine fishes, and Patrick Chan, a former policeman who's a keen sport diver and angler and was the founder chairman of the Hong Kong Chamber of Seafood Merchants. So, Yvonne Sadovi, let me start by asking you, how old are fish? In, this is in evolutionary, in evolutionary times. Um, the earliest fish actually arose about 500 million years ago. And, and to get your head around that, um, the oldest dinosaurs arose around 250 million years ago. So the oldest fish are much, much older than the dinosaurs. Twice and as old as dinosaurs. Yeah, and humans arose less than half a million years ago. Rubbish. <laughs> in, in, in evolutionary, <laughs> evolutionary terms. terms. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty amazing. But those original fish, they, they wouldn't be the fish that we see swimming around now, or, or would they? Um, in a way, you could say they are, because the very earliest fish to arise were actually the sharks, or at least relatives to the sharks. And what's very interesting about the sharks is that the ones we see today, they may not be the same species, but the ones we see today have pretty much the same design that arose all that time ago, 500 million years ago. So in a sense, you could say they're similar. They're, they're very successful, but they've got this very primitive sort of type um, that just has worked for them over all that time period. So it's a really good design. Yeah, it's obviously, it really works. I mean, there are a lot of things that mean they won't adapt very well to changing situation, maybe things like climate change or whatever, mm -hmm. because it, you could, I guess you could think of them as sort of being stuck in this, this very early form, but it's worked as major predators. They're very, very efficient and very effective. So they've kept that same design. Where did fish come from? Did they crawl off the land into the water? Actually, we, we sort of came from fish in, in, in the sense that, um, so the life begins in the oceans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there were there were fish that had uh, limbs, so types of fins. Which, if you look at them really carefully, you can you can almost see the kind of structure, limb structure that you see in vertebrates. So that's animals with backbones, like ourselves and mm -hmm. birds and reptiles and things like that. And in another group of fish, um, they had lungs. So they could live underwater, they had gills, but they also had lungs, so they could breathe air. So when you started bringing those limbs together in one group of animals, fish, and then the lungs from the other group, you sort of had the precursor to, um, uh, to the very, very early ancestors of humans. So life begins in the oceans, we, we all come from fish. Yes. Only some fish remain fish and others 
went on to the land and yes, the rest is, exactly. is history. Okay. Um, maybe we, we can come back later to this question of the variety of fishes and why, there are, why all fish aren't the same. But let me turn first to localize this a bit and to mm. think about think about Hong Kong and Hong okay. Kong waters. So, uh, Patrick Chan, now, you've been how long have you been fishing in Hong Kong? Well, I'm 68 years old now. I've been fishing. I've been fishing uh, since I was five. Right. Okay. So, tell us something about the uh, marine environment in Hong Kong and which are the commonest fishes that you might expect to see or fish? Well, Hong Kong is situated within the region of the Pearl River uh, estuary, Mm -hmm. which is a very good fish ground. Why is it good? Because of the river, bringing all the food to the fish. Okay. And also, Hong Kong, uh, we have a lot of mountains, and uh, have a lot of river and, and stream. So you know, within the Hong Kong Hong Kong area, uh, there a lot. There were a lot of estuary and also mangroves, which is suitable for the fish to reproduce. Good. So I'm learning quite a lot already. So it, if you're a fish, mm. it's useful to be in a river estuary where the the river is bringing down nutrients. That's right. Into the sea, and it's also good to be in a place where there's plenty of fresh water, mm. because this is also helpful. It's not only for that, because uh, in the estuary, uh, there will be plenty of uh, oysters, mm-hmm. clam, shrimp, crabs. They all lay eggs in these regions, and also this egg is the excellent food for the fish flies. Okay. So that you can attract the fish to come back to 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 for for the spawning. Good. Okay. So this is a good place to be mm, a fish. That's or right. it was a good place to be it a fish. It was a good place. <laughs> Has it changed a lot in the, in the time yeah, that you've been fishing? Yes, you can you can you you can see that we have uh, cordoned off a lot of area for our reservoir, mm-hmm. like Polo, uh, like in Tolo Harbour we have the photo cove, which is a very good area for for uh, fish production, and also we have a high island reservoirs. And the inner inner satin inner satin we have uh, the race course. Yes. And uh, and also it, it kill all the all the all the estuary and also the, the mangroves. So what's what's the problem? So what you would say then that there are fewer fish in Hong Kong waters now than twenty years ago, thirty, forty years ago. Is that because there's less food for them? Yes, we can say that is one of the major reasons. I think uh-huh. the, another reason is the Overfishing, yes, because of uh, the new technology, because of the invention of the of the, the the new nets, so it's easy to catch fish. Easy to catch fish, and also uh, there is a uh, low legislation to protect the the environment, uh, the sea uh, resources, because uh, there's no restriction regarding the the how big is the eyes of the net, so that the small fish will be will be captured. So as the f- Fishermen in Hong Kong become more efficient and more productive. Yes. Then the fish population goes down, and then the fishermen have to go further to find to find fish. Is that yes. right? Yes. Actually, starting early seventies, last decade, the fishermen start going out to South China Sea because uh, they have uh, bigger boats and a more powerful engine. Okay. Tell us what kind of fish are the the best, the commonest fish, and then the best fish to well, catch. Well, the most common fish is uh, in the Hong Kong waters. Is a uh, called 
tiger fish, tiger fish, and also the garufa, a sea beam, and then the bubble fin wasp. W R A S S E. That's right. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. So these are tiger fish, do, are they for eating? Yeah, it's good for eating. Mm-hmm. Although they are small fish, mm. but it's very delicious. Mm. Used to be a lot in the harbor, in the Victoria Harbor. Yeah. When I was a small boy, actually my elder brother took me, took me to the uh, waterfront, you know. We, we mainly captured this uh, tiger Fishing fish. Fishing with a, with a line. With a line. Of, of the waterfront. Uh, yeah. And what bait? Well, you can use any kind of bait. Using using shrimp, you can use clam, and you, you can use even using fish ball. <laughs> Seems very cruel. Catch <laughs> a fish with a fish ball. Yeah. So nowadays, if people fish off the waterfront, what are they catching? Well, very few. Like, so you're catching very very, very small, small fish. fish. Yeah. Yes. Maybe you, but you with some luck, you can still catch your one or two sea beam. Mm-hmm. But uh, the tiger fish seems to be. Uh, gone already. Are there any really big fish in Hong Kong waters? Yes, we have big fish in the Hong Kong waters, but not inside the uh, Victoria Harbour. Mm. You mean the outlying island yeah. like the Wang Lan? Around and about. Uh, yeah, Po uh, Toy and then. Actually, talking about 30, 20 years ago, so I got a, a friend of mine capture a giant garupa in the Po Toy. Giant garupa, and yeah, how, so how big? It's about 150 catties. Which is, can we... Is it 200, it's 200 pounds, pounds, something, yeah, something like something that. Like bigger that. than a human being. Bigger than a human being. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> okay, we've had our first fisherman story. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's take an example. I'm going to turn back to you, Yvonne, to help me with this. Let's try, let's choose a fish. And you're very fond of garupa, mm-hmm. which we also call Grouper, G-R-O-U-P-E-R, or Groper. So they have three different names, but it's the same fish. Let's take the example of a Grouper and just see if we can trace it through its life. Okay? So it starts off as an egg. How many eggs would a mother Grouper produce Ah. in one go? Okay, well, that'll depend on her size because there's a, a relationship between the bigger the female, the bigger the belly, mm-hmm. so to speak, so there's more space for eggs. And so very big females will have a lot of eggs. Um, and so in terms of actual numbers, I mean, people do count, do things Must like counting those someone eggs. Someone whose job it is to count Yes, yeah, eggs I'm afraid that there, there are people who do that. Um, and for a very big female, you're many, many, many millions of eggs. So they're in, very, in very tiny. Go. Yes, together when they're when they're ready to, to spawn or reproduce, and so these eggs are very small. When they when they release them, they're about a millimeter wide. Mm-hmm. So that gives you an idea. So you can fit a lot into these bellies, and and when they're ready to reproduce, the the belly gets really full of eggs. I mean, it yeah. seems to they seem to push everything else out of the way. Yeah. So they produce a lot of eggs. So mi- millions of eggs, and this millions is this eggs, is yeah. the prodigality of nature. Mm-hmm. Millions, millions of eggs, and almost all of those eggs are not going to make it. To grow, to grow up to be a garupa, are they? Yeah, that's right. So, so it's, it's sort of lots of different animals have lots of different ways to reproduce. Mm-hmm. And you can be like a human where you have a couple of young or mm. a small number of young and you look after them and each one is, is going to hopefully survive to, to, to become an adult. When it comes to things like groupers and many other types of species, they can produce, they do something very different. They can produce millions of eggs or hundreds of thousands. And just a tiny, tiny proportion of those will survive. So maybe less than 
percent or even less than that so it's just a different way to reproduce but but on average on average a male and a female will replace themselves over their lifetime that's sort of everything else being equal all right so let's (laughs) follow this little garupa who's made it who's become who's become a fish okay um what is this fish where is he or she finding food well, it'll, it'll, so the egg, the egg will hatch into a little lava, so it's mm-hmm. a tiny little thing, and then it'll float around in the water for about a month. Then it'll settle on a reef or rock or something, um, and then it'll change its shape to become like a mini grouper, like the yeah, adult, but the adult shape. Fins yeah, and tail. Fins and, and that shape, and, mm-hmm. and maybe have different color from the adult, and then find a place to hide. That's one of the most important things. They've got to be hiding for Sorry, them. can I interrupt? The, the mother is... Miles away. Oh, long since gone. There's, there's no, re- no relationship. <laughs> no. So they, okay. the groupers, uh, I mean, fish are very different in how they reproduce. Um, and some do look after their babies, mm-hmm. but the grouper doesn't. They just okay. release the eggs into the, into the water. And then there are males. They meet with the males. They release the sperm and the eggs are fertilized. Okay. So our grouper, <laughs> it's made it to become a little fish. It's found a hiding place. Now it's getting hungry. Mm-hmm. And it will start looking for prey and they've got very very good eyesight their mouths relative to oh, their body minute, these are, they're carnivores these yes 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 very fierce they're chomping away on seaweed and stuff no no, no they're after little what, shrimp what, and fish little and sea creatures little fish yeah shrimp and shrimp. fish yeah, and well, crabs yeah, and well, i'm wanting a, 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 a factory you know raising fish in the indoor indoors uh, system yes uh, we have our, our Garupa lobby come back to our systems mm-hmm. and like the, the f- f- about two cm, three cm in size. Okay, tiny. We feed them four times or five times a day. They still eating each other. Uh, Once they eat each other, actually they kill two two fish. When they're very small. Yeah, because the fish the, the fish they eat is almost the same size of their fish. God Almighty! This so is the, worse the than fish they, 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 they capture <laughs> was was killed and also he was stuck. It cannot be, oh. and also two fish die. That is a tragic story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they're eating pretty much anything that comes along that's smaller than them. Um, yes. Or the same size. Yeah, and they, and they grow pretty quickly, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, different types grow different speed, but they grow pretty quickly. How long can they, ex- barring accidents, how long can they expect to live? Again, it depends on the type of grouper, but uh-huh. you can have ones, the very biggest ones that, that were mentioned earlier, ones that get to... You know, mm, hundreds of pounds. Yeah. yeah, they can live probably to forty years or more—a long oh, time. Gosh. Yeah, they take maybe you know quite a few years to become an adult, mm-hmm. so they have to live quite a few years before they can reproduce. But then the smaller ones, because there are small groupers and big groupers, the smaller ones, they might live um, eight, ten, twelve years—that kind of time. But it gives you an idea. I mean, they're quite—we we consider them to be quite long-lived for fish. Because you do hear the <laughs> stories about carp and goldfish that live for for decades and decades Mm. okay so our garupa has come to maturity let's say it's found plenty to eat how far would a fish like that travel in i know this is an unreal kind of question but in an ordinary or typical kind of lifetime would they stay around the place where they were spawned or do they move further afield? Well, they, the, the egg moves, you know, the, the egg is produced and then that floats around for about mm-hmm. a month. So, so that's already some kind of movement. But once they've come on back to the reef, even as a small animal, some of them will tend to stay in that general area for much of their life, the smaller species. 
But some of the bigger species, we know from tagging them, that means we put a sort of a mark on them, catch them, put a mark on them, and then catch them later. Um, They can move. We've we've recorded over 200 kilometers. And they do that. They do that partly when they move each year to reproduce, to spawn, because they move from where they live to a reproduction site called a spawning site, and then they'll move back again to the reef. Some species, I mean, but we know that Why? some of the species... Because these spawn... Well, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. That's something that scientists are interested in. I think in. it's about the food. Because the, the when they food went, that they will find in the, the reef, you can site. you can get pentons and also in the open sea, it's difficult to get this uh, tiny creature for this for the fingering. You'd think it would make sense to stay in a place where there's lots of food. That's what human beings do. Some of some of them will, will will stay put. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, from my experience, you know, they they came two times a year, like the like the green galoopers. We we come on. almost the time. Uh, in October, they start coming. The first, 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 they uh, lay eggs in the, in the, and then they come at another time. Is after Chinese New Year, mm-hmm. two times a year. So they're migrating. In they're migrating. Mm. Actually, uh, we now that this day we went out very far from Hong Kong for fishing, maybe about twenty or thirty, thirty kilometer away from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So it's open sea, but. You can, you can, you can. From the top, when the time comes, you can see the fishes coming into the in the in, uh, outlying island. Mm-hmm. You can catch the the the, the, the big 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 okay. mature garuba. So they they can travel quite a long distance. Yeah. They, they can, and they seem to. I mean, one of the reasons for traveling too is that normally because of the food, they they spread out most mm. of the time. You know, they need a, they often have a little territory, and then they feed in the territory. Mm-hmm. The adults I'm talking about now. But when it's time for reproduction, they've got to meet. Somehow all the males and females have got to get together. And so there are these places, these sites, that yeah. for one reason or another, we don't know exactly why, they, they know these sites and it's the same sites at the same time each year. And they just know to migrate there. They reproduce and then they'll, then they'll, then they'll leave again. So there's something special, but we don't know exactly what it is about these sites. It happened in the coral reef, but, uh, but uh, I'm not sure whether it is the same situation in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. Uh, maybe there are so not so many garuba in, in I think these probably, waters. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I, I think you have to have like a critical but, number. But they are coming to in to the, to the to the near shore. Yeah, and, uh, I, I'm really interested in this question of knowledge, because you said if one, they know, they know where to come, they know when to come. Yeah. they've got a they've got a calendar in their head. Um, do you, would it be accurate to say that fish think? Yes, I suppose it does. In the sense well, they, that it's just biological sort of imprints in them. They they, they they know where to go and where exactly that knowledge comes from. Interesting, but but the but the question of how they know where to go and it's true on coral reefs there are these very specific mm. places. Whereas in some areas, maybe like here, they might come inshore, but they'll they'll sort of know where to yeah. come and on a regular basis. Territorial, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so mm. I think that the, what seems to be we, we've been very interested to know well, how do they know your question? How do mm. they know when mm. and where to come? What some work has has shown that there are ju- juveniles, the, the young fish, when they're big enough, will follow the older fish. 
And people have even done experiments where they've sort of experimented by moving things around. And mm. what they've found is that fish can learn routes. They can learn migration routes and pathways. And so we're pretty sure there is a, a learning component to finding out where you're going to go, but you have to learn it from somebody. So we don't think it's inbuilt that you know immediately you, you kind of are born that you have to go to that site, for example. Okay, so they're, they're, they're being ed- educated yeah. by older fish yeah. and for learning by example. Can, can fish communicate with each other? Yes, of course. <laughs> well, so, so, so for example... For they, example they, don't, they don't make a noise. Do oh, fish yes. make a noise? Some, many do? fish do. So, for oh, example, gosh. with the groupers is probably a good example. Yeah. When they're mating, when they're reproducing in these big groups, these aggregations, sometimes the males will make a sort of a grunting sound. and that we can, can you hear that if, if you're diving um, in I haven't, but if you put a hydrophone in, you can. I think it's a different frequency okay. from from the human ear. My hearing's not very good, so it may be partly that. But um, you can, and I've heard recordings. And and some sometimes the big males they boom, so we think it's to do with the courtship sometimes. And also they change their colour. So the only time that groupers will change their colour, I mean normally you see them in a tank and they're all the same colour, but when they change their colour is when they're reproducing. And so the males take on one colour and the females sometimes take on another colour. So this is a kind of okay. communication. Yes. They yeah. communicate when they're aggressive, there's a certain colour sometimes, and the male-female difference. So in that sense, they're communicating, but it's a very different kind of thing from what we would think of as communication. I'm never going to think about the same. <laughs> I <my> was <laughs> warned by Jaren Garupas, talking about many years ago, mm-hmm. diving. I saw one, it's a quite big one, it's more than 100 caties. I saw his go into the cave, so I follow it and uh, try to see try to see if the fish is inside the cave. But I couldn't find it. I, I spent a, 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 I try to do it spent a, a, a sometimes you know to, to, to check the check the, the, the cave. And uh, actually the fish went up to the rock above me. Mm-hmm. When I came came back and the fish with the scale open and then oh, <laughs> You, you mean make a noise. You make, make a noise. Yeah, yeah. You're warning me. Yeah. So it, it was shouting at you. Yeah. Saying, get off. My <laughs> get off. <yeah. laughs> Patrick, wh- why – here's the question. You, you're you a very experienced yeah. angler. What do you enjoy about fishing? Is it – you feel it's a competition with the fish? Competition. Competition, yeah. Are you competing with them in a game to see who who will win? It's the, it's the, you enjoy the process because when you see the fish, you saw the, you see, you see the target, but you do not know whether you can capture the fish mm. or not. Yeah. Because the fish is moving all the way. Yeah. Actually, you, you, you have used your, your tactic, your skill, you know, trying to capture the fish. So that, that's, that's enjoying. But even you shoot the fish, you shoot the fish, it doesn't mean that you're still able to, 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 to take the fish into your, your, your mm. So this, a period of time is is uh, quite enjoying actually. Do you like fish? I like fish. I mean, I don't mean to eat, but do you like them? I like them. You sort of respect yeah, them yeah, and, yeah. and so on. So I never catch uh, um, well. I only capture the fish for for my for my need. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a bit difficult to relate to fish, isn't it, Yvonne? <laughs> Not really. I, I I know some of the fish I work on. I think they've got some attitude. Um, so, for example, there's a big fish, um, the Napoleon wrasse or humphead wrasse. It's the somme in Cantonese. Mm-hmm. And it's one that a lot of people would see in the tanks around here. And uh, they get very big. They get to about two meters long. 
And where they're not frightened of being fished, you know, they'll come quite close to divers. Divers love to see them. And they come up really close and they look at you and their eyes swivel around and they come around and they check you out. And there's sort of a feeling of, I mean, I, I can't say communication, but there's a, you can somehow relate to the animal. Because so the animal is curious. It's know, curious. Very clever fish. Very clever, very fish. clever fish, yeah. <clears throat> so you can appreciate. I mean, there are some kinds of fish which are like that you can appreciate. Um, so I would say... And you spend enough time watching them. You see there's a lot of pattern to mm-hmm. to, to what they're doing, to their behaviors. And, and some of them are really quite complicated. They, they have um, a lot of uh, kind of social interactions with each yeah. other and the complicated social systems. So... They're not just sort of pointy on one end and flappy like at the other. Touch. They don't like human touch. <laughs> okay. I, I, some of them yeah, do. I yeah, I kept some, some, some somi, uh, um, uh, the Napoleon was, in uh, my sea cages. Mm-hmm. You know, for, I feel for just for my, for my personal... So we 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 feed them every day. Yes. So once you come near, near to the cage, the fish will swim, come to you, and then look at you, and then... You use your hand to, to to touch them. They enjoy it very we much. Like that. Ah. Okay, let's. We're getting towards the end of our time, but we need to talk about conservation because I know this is something you're yeah. you're both very much interested in and involved in. Um, we've already, as Patrick's already told us, about some of the ways in which fish are having a hard time in Hong Kong waters, in particular, because the food source is going. They're getting overfished and so on. Is the future bleak for Hong Kong fish? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I've been here 24 years, mm-hmm. so obviously you know, not, not as long as, as Patrick by any means, but I've seen in that time quite a lot of changes. Um, and I think unless they are managed, uh, you won't see recovery. You won't see the numbers and sizes of fish that they had in the past, or even some of the types of fish, some types of fish you don't see very much anymore. Um, so I think a lot will depend on whether there's management or not. Patrick mentioned earlier about fish eye, uh, the, sorry, the eye of the net. net so yeah. it's the mesh size of mm. the net. Um, and here and, and many other places in, in Southeast Asia, actually, the mesh size is very, very small. And what that means is that you catch very small fish. You catch the babies, basically. And if the babies don't survive, you don't have reproduction, you don't have fish in the future. So the kind of manage there's all kinds of management measures, but you can have bigger mesh size or eye size to the to the net. You can have protected areas where you let the fish rest, or you let the fish reproduce, or you have a nursery area where they can recover a little bit. And also, we need the cooperation with the coastal border, because Hong Kong is is within the South China Sea, right? Basically, of course, in the China is have a bigger fishing fishing fleet. If they do not uh, take this seriously, actually, let's really two Hong Kong can do. There's no borders for fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pollution the, the Sunshine is, River is, is very important because yeah. a lot of the nursery areas are close to the land because yeah. this is where the small fish go. Is areas in the close to land, so mangrove areas, seagrass yeah. areas. Tolo Harbour used to be an incredible place for tiny. Sea bream, sea bream, which they used to catch small for grow out and export, and um, but you know there was so much fishing and so much 
pollution that mm. that's damaged these areas. Mm. So nursery areas are quite difficult to safeguard. But also the government has to be supportive with, with government policies. Mm. That's right. Yeah. And one thing we do have in Hong Kong is um, since a few years ago, we do have a, a ban on trawling, bottom trawling, which is the net that goes across the bottom. Yes. And that's important because that took a lot of very small fish and it damaged the bottom. So that will be helpful, but we need to do much more. Okay. So the lesson is encourage the government to help to protect the fish and then we will all be happy. (laughs) Okay, we've finished our, our, uh, we've run out of time. Thank you very much, both of you, Professor Yvonne Sadovi and Patrick Chan. Thanks a lot for joining us and thank you for listening.